<laughs> Welcome, guys, to the JPS podcast. And like I was saying to my good friend Steve Hall, uh, it's very different and unusual being on this side of Steve. He's uh, an interviewer on Revive Stronger and has a great little business uh, with Pascal Floyd. Did I say it right? Yeah. I pronounce it right? Yeah. And the guys are doing some great things online and are physique and strength coaches and, in my opinion, at the forefront of providing information to the fitness community that is evidence-based. So, welcome, Steve. Thank you for having me. And, yeah, it's always weird. I've been on a few podcasts and it always feels weird kind of yeah. being the one who's interviewed. I'm like, so I have to do more speaking? Like, yeah. when I had Lyle McDonald on, it's like, introduce Lyle. Done. That's Job it. done. Yeah. <laughs> Just nod <Yeah>. and smile. <laughs> exactly right. And I had, I had the exact same experience with Lyle, so I can imagine how odd this is for you. Um, <laughs> so talk to me, Steve. When did you get into the industry and how did you come to be? Mm-hmm. So, yes, like you said, it can't, like, I mean, I think to a lot of people, I have come out of, I probably have come a bit out of nowhere potentially, but I have been kind of, I don't know kind of behind the scenes, kind of on the skirting edges of the industry for, I guess I was for a while, but it all kind of happened, I guess, like I'd always been into sports. I think everyone can relate into kind of doing various things. I didn't know what I kind of wanted to do when I was at school, um, but I very much took kind of, and I feel bad saying it now because I'm in the industry, but I took like physical education, those sort of lines of kind of subjects is kind of Mm -hmm. like, DOS easy subjects that like they're not academic my parents didn't yeah. want me to be doing them at like <laughs> for like, university and things like yeah. this so I never went and did those but they're always like not something I'm very, very much interested in I'd always been fairly good at most sports um, but then I went to university and so I studied geography with business yeah. so completely unrelated to what I'm doing now um, but whilst at university in my second year I used to do like a lot of running I used to do some gym work, um, nothing impressive mm-hmm. at either, really. Um, as a lot of people know now, when you're trying to get good at something, you need to kind of specialize yeah. as much as you can. Um, but I was on one of those runs and unfortunately um, ended up getting hit by a van, which uh, sounds really traumatic. I, it, it was at the time, and now I look back and kind of laugh at it. Mm-hmm. And like I'm, when I'm crossing roads with my girlfriend, she's like, be careful, like you've had bad history with this. I'm like, what? Um, <laughs> So, yeah, that head injury landed me in hospital for, I think, almost a month at the time. Um, and I just lost I lost any kind of muscle size I had. I came out incredibly skinny. I think I was 5'10". and kept, Well, I was 5'10". I'm still 5'10". Um, <laughs> and uh, came out at 130 pounds. So yeah, incredibly right. skinny. Like, I think I lost 20, uh, 20 to 30 pounds, like, in a very short period of time. And... The best way to lose muscle, if anyone does want to lose muscle, is like lie down, yeah. don't eat. Like just <laughs> it catabolizes itself. Your body's got to take it from somewhere. So after that as well, I was kind of nursing head injuries, which led to kind of long-term complications with sodium levels. I, I was on water restrictions, diuretics. Mm-hmm. Um, I later discovered I had like low testosterone, all of these things. Mm-hmm. So I very much felt kind of out of control of my life and um, I became quite isolated kind of socially because I couldn't really go out and enjoy like nights out at uni because I, mm, I couldn't yeah. drink anything. Um, so that all led to kind of me really quite closing myself off. And I think that also led me to 
kind of finding the gym again because mm. it was something I could control. I could control my body. I could control my food then as well and know that it was kind of working towards hopefully helping yeah. my body. Um, and it was something I could kind of feel a bit more secure in what I was doing. So I started like, as everyone does, you just go onto Google, you try and find some information on like bulking because everyone's yeah. heard of bulking, even if you're kind of outside of the industry. Um, yeah. And I, I did like the traditional bulk as, as it were. Um, yeah. and the dirty bulk. Up. <laughs> yeah, bulked yeah. up, the dirty bulk. Um, although I, I thought it was clean, I was convinced yeah. if I didn't eat dirty food, it, it was, was going to be a clean no fat, exactly. What are calories, um, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I, it's weird. Like, I tracked calories. I tracked, pro, like, I had, like, 400 grams of protein, way too much. Wow. Uh, the, the information was bro science at its kind of worst that I was implementing. Um, I did gain, like, I gained a lot of size, as you can imagine. Like, yeah, I was eating, I think, 4,000 calories at 130 pounds, and I was gaining, like, a good, like, half a stone, like, six pounds in, like, a week, uh, in, like, two weeks. Like, it was just That's coming two, on. Two and a half kilos, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. super fast. Yeah. Um, and during this time, I was kind of, because I was on a forum, which is where I was finding my information from, I started, like, logging my process. Yeah, mm -hmm. progress, rather. Um, so I was speaking to people on there. I started a YouTube channel. So this is kind of where my kind of, inkling into the the industry was coming yeah um but i also was working an office job at the same time um that i really wasn't enjoying and i basically just turned up to work was that guy that was quiet in the corner eating out of his tupperware boxes and then like shuffled off to the gym as soon as i could uh to get my workouts in it yeah. wasn't really a very fun time and like it was very controlling of my lifestyle way i was doing things but it was what i was used to is what mm -hmm. i thought produced results yeah. Um, where I don't know where I discovered Alan Aragon, but I think I must have been Googling something and bodybuilding.com came up yeah. and I saw Alan Aragon commenting on some threads that I was trying to find the answer to. And I was like, who is this guy? Like he's talking about if it fits your macros, he's talking yeah. about being able to eat like white rice and it not mattering that it's white over brown. Like this is just completely Absurd. wrong. It's not clean. Yeah. It was like yeah. really I wasn't happy about it at all. Um, and at the same time, I think there was a link to Lar McDonald's website, bodyrecomposition.com. And so I was like, oh, this, this sounds more legit. I started reading Lars stuff and I was literally like blown away with the amount of content and information that was on there. This sounds uh, very much like my story uh, into the evidence-based community, very much the same. <laughs> literally, this is exactly yeah. what it was. And, um, so I used to, when I was commuting, I started kind of downloading some of his articles and I used to read them every single, like on the way there, way back, gym. And that was my life for like a few months on end. Um, and at the same time, I was also, I found Ian McCarthy on YouTube, um, who I know has been on the, the podcast quite a few yeah. times. And this yeah. was way back in the day when he was just, this no, this is no bullshit like, bodybuilding. Yeah. 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 So he really opened my eyes to like the shit I used to do and it like I loved his videos. Yeah. Um it just they just if anything they made they really convinced me about Alan, about Lyle, and then mm. I started finding the guys 3DMJ 
um, through Matt Ogus. I think I found them mm-hmm. through, yeah, through Matt Ogus. I saw Eric Helms kind of went on the channel, got featured. It's the exact like, same as me, yeah. <laughs> crazy. I, like, there must be a lot of us who have gone through this kind of journey finding yeah. these people, which is yeah. fantastic. And, like, you think how small they were back then and now they're And where huge. they are now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's and awesome. to think that, like, now I've had them on the podcast and stuff, it blows my mind. It's ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, eventually I was doing all of this. I actually got, like, my results were much, much better as I started implementing and trusting their stuff. Um, I think I started running, like, 531 um, yeah. with some bodybuilding accessory <laughs> work because Matt Ogus yeah. is doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I eventually was at, while doing my kind of, office work I started studying to be a personal trainer on the side because mm-hmm. I was like okay this it might be something I want to go into eventually it's like my dream not my dream but it's my passion it's what I love um, and I eventually got to a position where I, I, I passed that whilst I was working and there was a point at which I was like I'm either going to go down the route of being a merchandiser which is what I was doing at the time in, in the office Loads of, it's funny, I was doing all Excel spreadsheets then and very similar You're now. still doing all Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, or go into the, the fitness industry and so I decided to take the risk, um, quit my job. Uh, I was living at home so it wasn't like a huge risk, it was calculated um, and then started working in my local gym that luckily mm-hmm. had a position for me. Um, and at the same time, I started an actual bodybuilding contest prep which is quite a good time that the two kind of lined up because anyone who has worked in a commercial gym as a personal trainer, if you're not busy, especially if you're new, there's not a lot for you to do apart from like clean, clean. and talk to people on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> um, so managed to kind of prep, especially your first prep, your kind of, especially that it's normally longer than it should probably yeah. be, or you, yeah. or you don't give yourself enough time, one of the two. Yeah, definitely. Um, I had to lose 30 pounds, so I and I think I dieted for All the close to a year. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> there was a lot to go. Um, so I did all of that, and at the same time, and while I was also working, I had the YouTube channel going. I had started a blog, so I've actually had three websites till I got to revivestronger.com. Um, I think I had like the fitness hub was my first one. Then I went to Stephen Hall, Revive with Stephen Hall, and now I'm at Revive Stronger. So there has been like a lot of, mm. I look back at some of those old blog posts, I'm like, how did I ever think this or write like this? <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's been a lot that's happened kind of leading into yeah. where I am now. But I think it really, my position and people started seeing my name was when I did was doing the contest prep. Um, people in my gym, there was a lot of kind of, kind of, not kids, well, I guess they're kids, but like teenagers. Mm. Um, from the surrounding schools and they started seeing me like transform my body and they're like oh this guy obviously knows what he's doing so Mm -hmm. he started asking me things Um, and then I was doing because of the YouTube channel one person had contacted me on there I was doing online coaching for him for like petents like like no money Um, but just because he asked me I was like okay I'll try Um, it's good experience so then people in the gym were asking me like I don't want a one-on-one personal trainer to like take me through form mm-hmm. and like I don't need my reps and sets counted but I really need help with my diet and my programming um, so then it started building in my local gym I started getting results with people in there and then I could publish these online I could have reviews of people who 
kind of transform their bodies. I transformed my own through doing the show. And that really kind of gave me a good, like, settling. Foundation. Um, yeah, a foundation to move, uh, move from. And then the risk again came where my girlfriend at the time, who I met at work, um, there was an opportunity for to kind of move in together. I'd still been living at home um, all this time. So I had to kind of, again, take the plunge, be like, do, am I earning enough to go full online and just move into London and do it? And I yeah. decided to. And then that's where kind of I had to be a workhorse and make sure I kind of was producing social media content, like blogging, all of these things so that I had clients coming in. Um, otherwise, like I wouldn't be able to pay the rent. Um, yeah. And luckily, I haven't kind of suffered any time where I've been like uh, pinching pennies or anything like that. It's been really sustainable. Um, and I can really thank and put that down to some long term clients I've had. I've got some people working with me now who were basically with me since the start, mm -hmm. which is easy. So I've had some people for over years. Man, and, that, yeah, I guess that, it, in a very long winded way, that's kind of the journey into the industry. That, uh, it's it's funny because obviously we all have our own journeys, but my journey is so similar to yours, and I think <clears throat> there's so many things that we can relate to um, in that because I went through the gym floor. I used to clean the gym floor. When I started my personal training, I didn't have any clients, so I thought I'll do a bodybuilding contest prep to establish a point of difference, and then it sort of all transpired from there. So it's uh, it's a testament to you, and I, and I can relate to the, the grind and how, how hard that uh, can be. So yeah. what I wanted to talk to you today about was you've now started to make a name for yourself uh, outside of just coaching and whatnot uh, in terms of the mini cut. So do you want to explain to the listeners right. what a mini cut is and give it a little bit of context as to when we would use it, why it's necessary and everything else in between? Yeah, totally. And that's really cool. I'm glad that it's nice to know that there's something people like think of me, they might think of mini cuts because it's definitely something I've been, I've used multiple times like with myself, with clients. And now I've got kind of, I call it the mini cut movement. So yeah. group online coaching. A lot of really um, good results and I, too. I've, actually, I've it's funny how it all kind of started. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I, it's, you probably find, because it's group coaching, I've found, I've had a lot of people go through it. And I wish I'd had like a formal process of always getting their results. But it's only yeah. if they randomly come in and I'm like, oh, great, I've got them now. Um, yeah. I, yeah, so like hundreds of people have gone through it now, which is awesome. Um, I, yeah, I first discovered actually mini cuts. I think 3DMJ, I think they had their mini cut video, which is mm -hmm. still kind of online. I think Alberto is explaining how, min, how to run a mini cut. Um, and I remember asking Eric Helms, messaging him before I started kind of doing the, the group coaching, am I okay to try a mini cut? Um, because it, I thought it was like his thing or 3DMJ's thing. And he was like, it's not ours. Like, Lane was doing it for years before, years before him. Um, it's not like a, a new special thing. So, um, yeah, once that happened, yeah, I started running with it. Um, and I guess the, the easy way to explain it is a mini cut is, as it says, it is what it is on the tin, kind of, it's a short cut. Yeah. It's not anything in long in length. So in terms of length, I 
personally view it as four to six weeks. If you're getting anything longer than like a, a basic mesocycle in length, it's a cut. It's basically yeah, it's becoming a normal cut. You're like yeah. you're fooling yourself if you're going longer than that. And and I think you can use a mini cut to set up a longer cut. I think that's definitely an approach you can take, but it's no longer a mini. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. it's become a lot bigger. Um, and it's the other definition I think is important for it is also it's basically as aggressive or the way I do it because I this is how I kind of rule it is it's as aggressive as you can be without losing muscle mass yeah um, you do not want to risk muscle mass because I know there's like Lyle McDonald's got his quicker rapid approaches but yeah. yeah rapid fat loss and things like this and they certainly put more muscle mass at risk um, yeah. they still might not be great but yeah so it's the length of time is definitely the first definer and then the fact that you're going basically as aggressive as you can for that time to lose as much fat as possible but no muscle mass um, and because it is short and sharp you get multiple benefits so you can be more assertive with things mm -hmm. because it's it's shorter so the body doesn't react in such a bad way um, you also don't get that like metabolic slowdown and things. You can actually do a mini cut and transition straight into like yep. bulky and not have to worry about adjusting calories, being funny about your transitions. Um, those are really good benefits. So I, I first was using them as a way for people who are bulking to kind of strip back some fluff to then continue bulking again and stay in that nice like 10 to 15 percent mm -hmm. um, where we know kind of your partitioning ratios superior. You partition more kind of nutrients to muscle over fat which is great um also most of us if we are like competitive you don't want to fall too far outside 15 percent um, unless you're not yep. competing in years and years and years you're kind of going to make that transition a lot easier by having these mini cuts thrown in also it just kind of and it keeps you kind of insulin sensitive so in a way it's kind of like a nutritional phase potentiation if people have heard yep. of like basic periodization for their programming and kind of hypertrophy and strength you can do the same with your nutrition you cut a bit, so then that potentiates your massing in future because now you're more insulin sensitive. Those sort of thing, those sort of things. Um, but now I also see a lot of people wanting to do it and kind of then transition into a longer cut. Mm -hmm. So you basically start out aggressive. You get it's really good with clients because they get good feels from it, like they get buy-in, and yeah. then you can slow down as you progress into it. Definitely. So um, it it works for so many people, but mm. There's also people who really should not use it. Um, and these people come to it all the time because they're drawn to it because it sounds fancy. It sounds like fast fat loss. Like this is awesome. I'm going to get really yeah. lean in no time. The current diet and that's where it goes wrong. It's like you're dieting right now. You can't expect to start aggressively. You need Correct. to be healthy. Um, a lot that's of people really who have point. been dieting yeah, for months and months and months and they try and come to it and I'm like, and they, or they ask me because I have for the group coaching, at least I say like, you cannot have been dieting for like the last month, at least like you need yeah. to have not been dieting because the metabolism will have shifted down by then. And you get so many people who have been dieting for so long and then they try and come and do like a mini cut and they're not going to see any results. They may even lose muscle mass in that time. They need to take a time at maintenance um, so they can kind of allow their body to recover if people like diet breaks, refeeds it's along those sort of lines. Um, so yeah, sorry, I kind of went on a bit of a tangent. No, it's good, it's good, perfect. You, hopefully that you, kind of explains it a little bit. You answered most of the questions that I had following on from that, which is really good. Ah. So in terms of uh, starting a mini cut, obviously you've set some uh, constraints there 
in terms of a prerequisite to start a mini cut being in a you know def- a surplus or maintenance or not dieting for a certain period before mm-hmm. we begin. When somebody does begin, we obviously want to be aggressive for a set period of time, typically four to six weeks. How aggressive are we talking as a percentage of maintenance calories, or is it just simply where where does where do we draw the line, Steve? <clears throat> cool. No, this is a really good question because I actually have changed my approach on this. When I first started, I was basing this off a study in which they kind of went into a thirty percent calorie deficit with some like. They, they, I think they were called elite, but studies always kind of call these people more advanced than they are. But these guys who are kind of very well, tra- pretty damn well trained, 30% calorie deficit, they lost a lot of uh, fat, but didn't lose muscle in kind of mm-hmm. a short dieting period. And it was kind of based off this, in that if you get your protein right, you get your carbs right, you weight train properly, mm. you can go into like a 30% calorie deficit and lose a good amount of weight and not risk muscle loss. And 30% to most people it is aggressive, like that is yeah. a big calorie deficit. However, after looking through further kind of studies, kind of reading up kind of the muscle and strength pyramids, reading up Renaissance periodization, their diet book, um, and then looking more at kind of a much more individualized approach to setting up the calorie deficit, mm-hmm. I realized it's actually better and you could potentially lose more fat by setting it via a loss of body weight per week a percentage loss per week kind of as a rough guide because it's so short like mm. fluctuations occur and you can't ever guarantee in the first week normally you lose a lot more and it kind of tapers off so i now look to lose on average for that person a given percentage per week and yep. that's individualized further awesome. by their body fat, body fat so yeah so because you'll get people doing they might try and do a mini cut at like 12 percent, and that they're not going to see loads of fat loss 30 percent deficit will hurt yeah exactly for them that's big whereas if they're at 12 percent body fat they should only really be looking to lose like 0.5 percent of Mm. their body weight per week and if they're a really light individual that's going to not be actually very much um whereas someone coming into it when they're like 30 percent body fat a 30% mm-hmm. calorie deficit for them might not, and they're like 250 pounds or something silly. Um, sorry, not silly. If someone's that big, like they're just big. Um, I don't want to make make anyone feel bad. We probably don't have any listeners like that for this show anyway. But um, I don't think so. they could look to lose like 1.5% to 2% Definitely. of their body weight per week, and so that's they you could put in a big deficit for them. So mm-hmm. it's individualized by the percentage because that's really related to their body weight. And then it's individualized by their body fat percentage. Mm-hmm. So that gives you a theoretical starting point of how to set the deficit. Yeah. And to go further into that, if say, to keep it really simple, if that worked out that they wanted to lose like 1.5 pounds per week, then you just would go and go off the assumption 500 calorie deficits a pound per week. So 750 calorie deficit is around 1.5. Cool. Um, I might for the group because I set their nutrition for them, I might kind of be a bit more assertive because we get like loss through thermic effective feeding. You might assume that they kind of, I don't know, they get into a dieting mindset and ramp things down. Yeah, things like this. Um, But yeah, that's basically how I set up the actual calorie deficit. I think that's really important. I think that's the most Mm. individualized way you can go about setting up any calorie deficit. I definitely agree. Yeah, a lot of really good points. Um, So obviously we've got the time frame. 
size of the deficit. We know that protein is important and we have to lift weights. Uh, so with the mini cut, obviously we're not too concerned with, uh, you know, daily variations in our intake so long as we're at that weekly calorie deficit yep. and then obviously over the course of four to six weeks. However, my question too is, would you implement refeeds, uh, you know, 24, 48-hour refeeds within a, such a short period considering that you're going for maximum fat loss and any time out of a deficit is time not losing fat? Or is it simply a matter of uh, still using it as a tool when needed? Um, what are your thoughts? How do you approach that? No, it's a really good question because refeeds have been under kind of the hammer recently. Um, a lot more people have been looking at them and really kind of figuring out, are they actually all they're cracked up to be? They used to be really, like I used to put them on a, when I didn't even understand really what they did, I was like, refeeds keep you losing fat. That's what yeah. they do. <laughs> Love um, them, right? So yeah, a lot of people think they're, they're necessary. Yeah. Um, I tend to tell people for this period of time, there's no planned refeeds. And in mm. fact, for a lot of my clients, I say the same. I don't plan them a refeed. I plan them a diet break, but we mm. don't plan a refeed. Um, it, and I kind of term them reactive refeeds. Yeah. 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 I don't know if people have, I don't know if that's a term people have said before, but I, well, I like you, reactive you could, refeeds. You could start that. I like that. It could <laughs> be the newcomer movement and reactive refeeds. I like right. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's more people might be like, okay, I've got this event on the weekend. I'm going to really yeah. find it hard to diet for it. And I'd just be like, right, Bang. rather yeah. than call it a cheat or something like that, we'll just call it actually a reactive refeed. Um, try and keep your fats a bit lower and your carbs higher. But if you hit protein and calories or at maintenance that day, effectively it's a day not dieting. It's not going to yeah. be the end of the world. Um, I don't want them to then really restrict. The thing you don't want is people to kind of have those binge and purge cycles um, yeah. because then that, that sets them up for kind of a big failure. Um, but even for, I know personally I've had good kind of response with refeeds, especially like multi-day refeeds with females. Mm. Um, and I know 3DMJ have as well, but even in this short period of time and when I run mini cuts for my one-on-one -on -one clients, I don't throw in refeeds um, unless kind of, yeah, like, like I said, if there's a social occasion or mm -hmm. if they're feeling really beat up, um, yep. on a, like on a day and I'm just like, right, we actually, it's kind of like taking a light day, uh, mm. rather than a full on deload. You just take yep. a single light day. Yep. It just keeps them going. Um, yeah, that's the way they're sort of implemented. Fantastic. Yeah. That gives that uh, a lot more structure, I guess. And the other question I had in regards to the mini cuts. So now that we've started to build the foundations and then layer it on top of that, uh, where does cardio come into this? Do you prescribe cardio with a mini cuts or is it simply the deficit from the diet how do you approach that steve so personally i tend i'd, I'd like not to lean on cardio much at mm. all um for any fat loss yep. because it's so much less predictable i mm. find if i take away like 100 calories from someone it's like okay i know i've got that 100 calories i know they're eating 100 calories less whereas if i add like 200 calories of cardio, I don't know exactly what that's doing for that person. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, as you know, during that time they're on the treadmill burning 200 calories, they may have burned like uh, 50 calories while lying on the sofa, um, yeah. which, so they've only net their 150 calories, not the 200. Yeah. And then so many people, mm -hmm. yeah, so many people, like I've had the amount of messages I get, they're like, if I do 200 calories of cardio, can I have two slices of bread? 
because yeah. I've now earned that. And it's like, oh, it doesn't quite work like that. I have a big, bold disclaimer in our nutritional plans. Do not track calories burnt from cardio. Do not replace <laughs> food uh, with calories burnt from cardio. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I think part of the problem as well, because a lot of our clients probably use something like MyFitnessPal, and if they link that up with yeah. their cardio, it then looks like they've earned food, which in some ways they have, but in, in other ways they, they really haven't. haven't. Yeah. It's too inaccurate. Um, just for the so listeners, then, Steve, just for the listeners, can you please share how many days in a row you have tracked? Oh, God, I'd have to get it up. My streak is getting scary close to, like, 2,000. <laughs> That's impressive, oh, man. <laughs> I, I will admit I haven't I haven't actually, like, full tra- – they're not all full track days, as you can imagine. Like, Christmas Day, I'll log in and be like, okay, I'm going to have turkey and put in, and then I'll leave it. <laughs> and then um, – but, yeah, the, it's – that that kind of if if the listeners get anything from that they get a bit of an insight into the type of person I am, yeah. um, in that Don't I am get... just like yeah <laughs> yeah like that hashtag um, team no days off yeah hashtag out work it will all yeah. pay off <laughs> <laughs> um and then the other problem I wanted to bring up with the adding cardio is that you get people. People will react differently to it. Some people will kind of react badly and they just become lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's even been studies that James Krieger, I think, has yeah. talked about um, at various conferences that I've been to yeah. in that people co- can compensate for all of it and even uh-huh. like overcompensate for it in terms of just being lazy, not even just mm-hmm. eating more. Um, yeah. So that, those are why I am not don't like to rely on cardio too much. But for smaller people um, who are eating relatively little or sedentary people who have like sedentary jobs they can't get out and walk a lot and things Mm -hmm. like this that's where cardio can really help because it just allows them to eat a bit more Um, and it's not much more but it is a bit and you have to be careful with cardio because I never use HIIT basically never Um, because I had in the past and it was kind of like the golden boy for a period of time and once now you look back at it you kind of understand that it just wrecks you like weight training is your biggest stimulus for retaining muscle mass why kind of put hit in there that's going to actually deter from this when you can put in lists which could actually a small amount is probably going to promote your weight training um and you just have to be careful not to put too much of the lists low intensity steady state stuff in but that is it's it's harder to overdo that than it is the high intensity interval training for sure yeah like when you think about People have probably heard of maximal recoverable volume or just kind of people just think about mm. you can only do so much. Your body can only kind of do so much to recover from a certain amount of just work in general. And if you're already dieting, that's a stress. And then mm. you've got your weight training and then you've got kind of life work. And if you add cardio to the mix, these all take away from kind of this pool. Um, so you have to be careful and hit just takes a bigger chunk out yeah. for every minute you do it. <laughs> Sure. So basically, no cardio. Training, does training stay the same? Is there an increase in volume? Is there a decrease in volume? How do you approach uh, training in that sense, Steve? So training is very much hypertrophy training. So um, it is kind of more voluminous than like, there's no sets of like fives in there that I like to see. It's kind of six plus, six to 15 Mm -hmm. is where it probably ranges to. and what I really like, and this is what I do with my one-on-one clients, is to go through kind of a short maintenance phase before it where they're low volume. Then they can do kind of a slightly higher, but not super high volume mini cut 
yeah. um, and then they can come out and even increase volume for another like couple of mesocycles so they can keep kind of yeah. having it's that volume, volume overload. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but for people who are kind of coming at from maybe massing or something like this, they're basically going to be training very much the same because you don't really want to see a reduction in the volume you've already been doing. Um, because we know volume is kind of the key mark for muscle growth is when it's sufficient intensity. So you don't really want to see that reduce. So yeah, through the mesocycle, we're looking each week to kind of incrementally increase volume as we can. Um, I very much like uh, Mike Isratel's volume landmark. So he talks about kind of starting off with your minimum effective volume, moving towards maximal yeah. adaptive volume, and then moving towards the maximal recoverable volume. Um, you have to be really careful, and this is auto-regulated through it, and you have to really kind of look at kind of how your performance is, how your recovery is going. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for the most part, typical hypertrophy training, the best way to keep the muscle is how you train to get the muscle. Um, I know there's lots of people that kind of talk about volume not maybe being that important. You can dial back volume. Um, I think that's being a bit more challenged of late mm, um, because I, I think a real big kind of downside to that and those studies that they're looking at is the people aren't dieting. They're not bodybuilders yeah. dieting or just anyone dieting. Mm. And when you are dieting, you really want to signal anabolism. And the best way to do that is with sufficient intensity, voluminous training, six to 15 reps. Um, so I think that's really important for people to do. So training twice a week, obviously muscle groups twice a week. Um, yeah. yeah, just doing working towards that maximal recoverable volume and then kind of taking that deload and that's kind of the mini cut hopefully done. Yeah. Awesome. A lot of really important concepts that hopefully listeners uh, take from that. That was uh, really well said. And I guess the next most important question is once we've successfully been through a mini cut, do we just go back to bulking? Do we maintain? Do we gain tain? As Alberto Nunes says, uh, what is your transition uh, phase after a mini cut? So I think it will depend on the person. So we talked about some people might transition straight into bulk, like yeah. longer term cutting. Um, so for that person, basically, I finish it with like a diet break when they deload yeah. um, and they just kind of let things settle a little bit and then they go into like a less assertive cutting, mm -hmm. but very much similar to what they've been doing. Maybe they introduce kind of two days on the weekend, they have a refeed or something to yeah. reduce that calorie deficit for the week or they just reduce it overall. Um, so that's their transition. They haven't got anything much to think about. Um, and then the other type of person there is, there's you can there's kind of arguments to and fro. And like I've had Lar McDonald on the podcast, he talked about his transition periods um, and kind of how you could maintain for a period of time before then you go into massing. I don't think mm -hmm. that's necessary in the slightest for mini cuts because there's no kind of down regulation, particularly in your metabolism. Yeah. Like it, it's because it's such a short period of time. You don't need to worry about that and you're not like really set up for fat gain necessarily because you're not like really super lean so the body's not like trying to fight to get yeah. to like a set uh, like your higher set point you're basically at your lower end of your set point with the mini cut so then mm -hmm. you can bulk up quite comfortably to your higher point so you're actually really sensitive to muscle growth so i like to see people go out of that deload straight into which the deload generally I base around maintenance calories anyway. So you might claim there's like that yeah. transition is that is a bit of a transition period and then straight into massing after that. Mm -hmm. um, and then they can just follow that up with slightly more volume than they've been doing. Maybe they add in maybe 
maybe they were just doing like incline and flat bench press. Now they add in a fly, fly um, yep. in addition to that, just a small amount of extra sets that aren't going to kind mm-hmm. of blow their recovery out the water. Um, and because they're now eating more, the actual ability to recover and do more volume, like their MRV goes up because they're yep. eating more now. Um, so they've already got that security Hashtag right gains. there. And then, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, brilliant. And I guess the final question to sort of conclude our discussion on mini cuts is how frequently uh, would somebody have a mini cut after their first mini cut? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. And the way I used to implement them was basically whenever someone got kind of to their higher end of their set point. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a very good approach to take. However, I don't know if kind of it's enough time to bring someone right down to their lower end because the problem i see sorry to uh cut in there steve a problem i see with it is that you know the typical bodybuilder per se can be quite extreme and most people have a very hard time with maintaining weight or at least slow weight gain and it could be used as a tool to oh shit i got a little bit fat let's mini cut oh yep i'm done with my mini cut let's bulk again and it's like this just Mm -hmm chop and change between, you know, cutting and gaining and there's actually no real progress made. They're spinning their wheels. So how do you ensure that a mini cut is used for its intended purpose and not bastardized uh, as a means for somebody to perpetuate their yo-yo dieting? Yeah. No, yeah, I can completely <clears throat> see that, especially um, I actually when I had Mike over at my on the weekend, I presented, I did a short presentation, like, yep. which was really scary on something I called adipose phobia which is like fat phobia fat fear um of bulking and one of the things was like people starting a bulk two weeks in i got a cut and it's like no don't do that (laughs) um so yeah people do not want to take that um i take what i like and this basic approach of kind of periodizing nutrition and training i very much like three to four months or three to four mesocycles even so that could be more than that could be more like four to six months of gaining followed by a short period of kind of maintenance so you can kind of hold on to things, let volume come down. So then you can have a really efficient mini cut to finish that up. And then that mini cut sets you up for some more gaining. So you kind of follow this kind of four to six month massing, month or so maintaining, month at mini cutting, and then you can go again mass. And then you can follow this through. And probably through that, you'll find you have to after maybe doing that three times you'd have to then finish it with like an extended cut which might be like a contest prep or something like that um that can be really effective but some people if they are a bit on the fatter side but they don't like maybe cutting for long periods of time they could even do like two months massing one month maintenance one month mini cut two months massing it but as you know the shorter you keep those periods the less predictable things become because Mm. whenever you're looking at scale weight and things like this like it's averages over the long term so hard to measure like the more you get into online coaching especially you realize like how the scale weight is sometimes it's not helpful (laughs) yeah yeah definitely definitely and i guess one of the last questions i wanted to ask you before we finish steve is unrelated to mini cuts because i think you did a terrific job in uh clarifying that i think a lot of people are going to walk away and have a better understanding of what it is, how to apply it, and then some general, uh, I guess, guidelines as to how to best implement it. So thank you for that. I wanted to ask you what you think it takes to achieve 
fitness industry success? Oh wow, <laughs> um, that's a that's a well, thank you. First of all, I hope people did take and if yeah. they have got questions about the mini cut, comment below. Um, yeah, please comment below. Contact me. I'm actually yeah. in the process. It's funny that we're doing this because I'm in the process of writing an article called the mini cut manual on my website. Beautiful. Um, so I'll link uh, that in the uh, description. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, and I, I hope to add questions, like people have questions and I will hope to have like an FAQ on there and stuff, make awesome. it really comprehensive. Um, but yeah, industry success. I always, and I hate, sometimes I hate myself for these analogies. I always revert back to like bodybuilding analogies. So I think yeah. like, what does it take to be a successful bodybuilder? It takes like hours of dedication, consistency, adherence to the principles that you know work. And I think the exact same thing relates to business. It's hours of consistency of continuous effort and work. But like bodybuilding, if you want to kind of, I don't know, if you want better results or you want to kind of pick things up a bit, you keep up to date with things. So mm. an example for me would be like, okay, podcasts were growing. So I decided to try getting into doing a podcast exactly like you've done <laughs> yourself. Yeah. Um, it's a great thing to be doing. And yeah. It, some people really it works for them other people it doesn't it like i've found it seems to work okay for myself i don't know it, it i never does. thought i was a great interviewer but it, <laughs> it definitely seems does to work. or things like instagram like snapchat started blowing up so i kind of like started getting on that mm. um see how results were and then i was like ah, oh, i'm gonna go off snapchat stick to instagram that seems to be working better same with people do it with their training like blood flow restriction training, for example, maybe that, that was like blowing up. People try that. They're like, ah, uh, maybe I can just do normal pump work. I don't need to spend <laughs> yeah. so much time doing this. This produces the same results. But it's always kind of staying on the, trying to stay on the, kind of the, the cutting edge, as it were. Um, yeah. And yeah, just being really consistent with your content, with the stuff you're producing. Um, but also individualizing it. So like your training, your nutrition, like you individualize it to you, see how things work for you, what you work best with, find what platforms work for you, um, kind of give your voice to things. That's something I massively changed with my writing is I used to write like a textbook. Like you might as well be copy and pasting textbook stuff into my blogs. Yeah. Whereas now it's very much like, I think it helps knowing it. So I don't need to reference textbooks all the time and I can just yeah. write it out and you can put it in your own words, your own language. And Definitely. there's going to be people that hate it, but there'll be plenty of people who are very much like you. You're probably going to attract clients. You can probably attest this. You attract clients who are very similar to yourself. 100%. Um, so write to, like, in your own voice. You'll attract people. And yeah, I think it's all of those things combined. Um, and stay kind of, I guess, staying humble helps um, and kind of giving due respect where it's required because I do see people kind of not necessarily stealing but they very much kind of take things from other people and they don't, yeah they don't necessarily mm. kind of give people um the what's it the credit give credit where it's due um because it just it doesn't hurt you it can only help you for sure that was a brilliant response and I oh, expected not, not, nothing less from you Steve <laughs> my man thank you so much for being on the podcast I really appreciate it um, guys, if you did enjoy that, make sure you like the video, go check out Steve's channel. He has a heap of really, really informative content there, uh, both from his interviews and the other content that he puts out. His website's pretty awesome as well. If you are trying to set up a mini cuts, you're getting a little bit fluffy in your bulk, 
go to his website, do the mini cut, learn from the best, and thank you again, Steve. No, I really appreciate it, Jacob. It's been a really fun chat. It's nice being on this end sometimes <laughs> and just being able to chat with someone and not. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's good. And yeah, I appreciate all the kind words. And yeah, if anyone does have any questions, anything like that, totally approachable. Um, and that'll be awesome. And I want to say, like, your channel um, and the podcast, been loving it. Just need more content, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not enough hours in the day, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I know. Thank you very much, Steve. Cheers.